The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe, you say an amen. amen. All right. If you believe, you give me a louder one. Amen. Father, we give you praise for today. Lord, we receive from you wisdom. We receive from you understanding. We receive from you insight. Lord, let your word that is coming forth this evening speak to each individual and each area of our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ. Can we declare the word of understanding as you begin to study? One, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline their ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. If you believe it, give me another amen. amen. Can you turn to your left and your right and greet somebody? Say, God bless you. Wisdom is your portion. Alright, bless somebody else. God bless you. Alright, while you are doing that, take your seats. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Alright, um, I want us to continue. Of course, we're doing a series of teachings, uh, School of Prayer. And what we have been learning is the power of agreement. And uh, let me take two portions of the Bible today to, to commence the teaching for today. The book of Matthew chapter 16 is where I would like to start from this evening. I just want to bring a particular principle here just to summarize what we were saying last time before I continue on in the path of our discussion of uh, agreement. You know, this time around we are looking at agreement with your fellows. I just want to revi- re- remind us what we said last time by reading from Matthew chapter 16. All right, let me just start from verse um, 13. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now this is where I'm, that's what I want to get from here, verse 18. And I also, he said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now please uh, bear that in mind. I want to just read something else. What John said, First John. First John chapter... Now, uh, where I want to read this verse 4, but I like to take things in context. Whoever believes that Jesus Christ is born of God 
And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Now, I've read these two portions of the scriptures like a kind of summary uh, for what we were discussing last time concerning building life on divine promises. It's important we, uh, we remember that. Now, life must be built, okay? Every house is built by somebody. We've seen that last time. And what I encouraged us concerning then is that we must learn to build everything we are doing on the not just the principles now, but the word of God. Let me put it like that. That is, God has said something. We read what David said in Psalm 139. We know that God has said something about every aspect of our lives. And we must learn to build on what he has spoken. Everything you are doing has a reason. Please don't forget it. Everything you are doing has a reason. The source of power for the believer is that you are in agreement with God. The source of power for the believer is that you are in, agree- you are in agreement with him. Now, bear that in mind. Everything you do in life has a reason. There was a time God came into the garden and he said to Adam, Where are you? And he said, I'm somewhere. Why are you there? Why are you know where I kept you? Because I was naked. Next question is, who told you you were naked? That is, everything has a reason. There's this, this information. You are using the information, the information you are receiving or you are using, you got from somewhere. Are you getting my point? You got it from somewhere. Don't ever forget it. You got it from somewhere. You know, sometimes I have arguments with people. They tell you that sugar is bad. Don't eat sugar. I ask them, who said so? And they don't know. They have no idea. And I've had people argue with me, and I'm telling the person that, do you realize you are talking to a doctor? You should be asking me questions, not giving me the one you read from a fashion magazine. Do you understand? People read diet things from fashion magazines, and they did not come and meet a doctor and be arguing on what is good and what is bad. And then they repeat it. And once people have said something a lot, a lot of times, Christians now build their lives on information they don't know the source of. Are you getting my point? Uh-huh. Look, listen. I like what the Ken Hagen said once. He said once he was reading Reader's Digest. And then they told him that once you are getting older, you start forgetting. And he started preparing to forget. I like that example. So he started arranging his life for when he would start forgetting. Do you understand? And then, <laughs> then one day he was reading the Bible that the rich man... You know, from, from Hades, he said, no, Abraham said to the rich man, son, remember. I said, this man is dead and he remembers. So it's not his brain. The decomposing brain, you know, is not the reason people remember. You know, someone said that is this guy's brain. So he said, no. So the fact that I'm getting older does not mean I must forget. And as the age of 80 something, the man kept on remembering. You understand? Reader Zygis was going to teach him that day and get him prepared. And to him, it will be according to his faith. They were going to prepare him for forgetting things. And now when people remember and forget a few things, they will say, ah, I'm, I'm getting old. And I keep on saying, you know, there are things you never hear me say. You will never hear me say them. Do I forget things? Of course I do. Like today, I, one of my colleagues in the office, I gave him money to help me pay somebody twice now. You understand? And he will forget. Somebody will now come back and say, please, where is that money? I said, have you not received it? And I said, turn to him. Then he will remember and rush to where he kept the money. 
You know, he said he has learned to label things like that. He'll just write something on it. Now, so today he was asking me. He said, I'm beginning to forget things. I said, there's nothing wrong with you. Don't think there's anything wrong. What is just happening is that you now have so many things to think about. When I was young, this is my mother would buy something. I said, how much? She said, she can't remember. And I'm wondering, you can't remember. Are you not the one that bought it? Then when I became her age, not age, you know, literally now, but handing that kind of responsibility. People now say, how much do you buy? I say, me too, I can't remember. Now, it's not that I began to forget, but when you have so many things to, for, to remember, your, your mind reclassifies things and decides this one is not important, this one is important. How much you bought a loaf of bread three years ago is of no consequence, so it shuts it down. It's not that you're old now, your brain is shrinking. No, age is not a disease. That I maintain that. Age is not a disease. From what the Bible has told me, it has only one thing it's supposed to do, make me wise. It's wisdom. It gives me wisdom. Wisdom, that's what it will add to me. That's not telling me that the reason why you're forgetting is because it's not a disease. It's not a disease if I'm forgetting and if it looks pathological. And I know there are some what doctors call age-related diseases. I know they exist. I'm not saying they don't exist. They just don't exist in my life. That's all. Be it unto you according to your faith. People don't always say me, they think I don't have information. I know God made me the way I am so people cannot tell me I'm stupid. <laughs> I have information. I'm just saying, which one are you using? Ron Kennelly said, whose report will you believe? Listen, the way life is, it is to you according to your faith. That is the way it works. That's how life is. It is to you according to your faith. What happens is that what you believe eventually comes to pass. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The word is still becoming flesh. What you are imbibing and receiving every day is creating things in your environment. That's why I tell Christians in a country like ours, you know, national matters. Make sure your information is from heaven, not from somewhere. Are you getting my point? You know, the other day when I was arguing, well, not really arguing, somebody said something. I said, who told this? not some newspaper written by people that have an agenda. Like you watch CNN, they have an agenda. They have an agenda. They don't, you know, they never say things, they hardly say things that are true. Anytime CNN, a news network like CNN tells you something, it's not based on fact, it's based on what they want to promote. For example, they will tell you that, um, I was talking the other day, I stumbled into them. I hardly watch them this is because I was in a hotel, so it's even, I told my wife, look at this, people decide again. This is why I don't watch them. And one island is disappearing, and it's because you are driving motor car. What has, you know, your, the motor car you are driving got to an island disappearing in the Pacific? They say it's because your motor car is causing a, a what do you call it, a, global warming, climate change. It do you follow? <laughs> and then instead of just saying an island disappearing, they will, they will weave it. You know, a man shoots somebody somewhere, they will remind you that the man likes Donald Trump. So Donald Trump is the reason why people are shooting people all over the world. So be careful the kind of information you build your life upon. Like you know, see Christians come and they'll be arguing with you, building their lives upon what they saw on CNN. Listen, I'm not saying there's no information. I'm just saying that which one do you want to build your life on? So Jesus said to us, upon this rock, I will build my church. What rock is that? Peter made a statement. He said, you are Peter, the small rock. I don't want to go into theological arguments now. He said, but upon this big rock, the rock of revelation, the fact that you have understood you are the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my church. What I want to bring out is this. Anything built upon the word of God, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Are you getting my point? If you build your life upon common understanding, if you build your life upon general knowledge, it will not stand the test of time. Jesus made it clear. He said, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them, you understand, 
the same will be likened to the one who built a house upon the rock. And then when the storm came and the wind came and all the adverse circumstances in life came, you know, it beat against the house or they beat against the house. The house stood. But the ones that are built upon the sand, those are the ones that heard the word but did not act upon the words of the Lord Jesus. What was he trying to say? If you build your life upon what he said, it will withstand the test of time. That's just the way it works. It will withstand adversity. It will. So please, I'm just going to summarize what we said last time. Let's learn to build our lives on the word of God. Now, once you read the Bible, eh? you find something there, start building your life on it. No matter how crazy it looks. If you don't understand it, like I said, don't touch that scripture. Don't adjust it, just leave it. Today is what? April 2nd. Yesterday was what? April 1. Because if today is April 2, yes, it must be April 1. Is that not so? There's no revelation in that. Is there any revelation? Huh. But yesterday, I was waiting for yesterday. As soon as it became April 1, I tweeted, I just lifted the Bible and tweeted <laughs> that Solomon said, like, let me just read the scripture out. It's very interesting. You know? Solomon said, like a madman who throws firebrands and arrows, so is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? Do you understand my point? Now, Proverbs chapter 26 and that's verses 18 and 19. I tweeted that. I didn't write any comment. I just tweeted it and put under it, hash April Fool. <laughs> you make up your mind. No. <laughs> of course. Look, I don't think I've ever received that amount of retweets in 24 hours. People were retweeting, retweeting, retweeting. I said, good, Christians are learning. <laughs> there was only one guy that passed a comment like, ah, Solomon, Pastor Banky, two of you. Can't somebody even joke again? <laughs> Just that one, my one doesn't concern me. I didn't see anything, you know. I, did I say anything? How many of you follow me on Twitter? Oh, a lot of you. Oh, come on, I'm very popular in this house. My God. <laughs> I just tweeted. I didn't pass any comment. Did I write the Bible? I bought my copy. I didn't, I've not written one yet. I've not even written a commentary. In the, you know, some people have done that. All my commentaries are personal. All my comments on my Bible, they are just for me. So I, that way I was, I was, that yesterday I really had fun. I just wrote that thing, pasted it like that. Copy, paste. I only put a hashtag that is dealing with April Fool. Now, this is what I'm making. I read that scripture, those two verses, over 25 years ago, close to 30 years ago. The day I read, read that portion, I realized that all this one we have been doing, calling April Fool, the Lord doesn't like it. He doesn't. You may enjoy it, but he doesn't like it. So, I disciplined myself. Exercise yourself unto what? Godliness. In all those years, it's only one I have fallen for. Only one temptation. <laughs> I remember which one. That is April 4. I don't do it anymore. April 1, I'm not fooling anybody. I'm not going to conf- confuse my soul and my spirit. Concerning what is right, what is wrong. My spirit won't know what I'm, when I, what I'm serious, when I'm serious, when I'm joking. So I said, no, I'm not doing it again. Now, the point I'm making is that, did I think it was bad before? No. Until I read it, I was having fun too. April 1, we start fooling people. At the end of the day, we laugh. I have a colleague who worked together for like five years. Her birthday was yesterday. She was born when? April 1. So I used to tell her that when your mother delivered, nobody believed. 
When you were born, they said, I should not say every fool. <laughs> it was the next day, and those who saw the baby, they finally believed. Next day, that's when people said, I believe it. That's a joke I used to crack with her. You understand? But the point I'm making is this. I just built my life in that area. That's what the Bible says. Another one I give as an example. When we were growing up as young boys, we used to watch, you know, start watching American TV. And a woman calls her husband Jack. And when she's happy, he's, he's honey. And then, the first time I heard a man being called my baby by a woman, like, what? I thought it was men that called women baby, you know. But then I grew up, I found people calling people baby. Okay, fine. After I married that time, my wife called him my baby. I said, hey, again, let's get it right. <laughs> Not your baby. <laughs> God will give you your own baby, amen? You don't do that. A lot is good. <laughs> now, is it bad? No. I, I, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, Solomon said some sweet, sweet words. I'm not saying honey is bad. I'm not saying it's bad. Did I say it's bad? No, my beloved, defined in the Bible, my beloved is a good word. All right? So he sang the songs of Solomon. But the greatest one of all the things that a woman can call her husband, the one the Bible commended the most, is Abraham, Sarah called Abraham what? My Lord. Now, you know, I'd finished the book, should I say yes, before I, because I kept on meditating, what's the meaning of my Lord, my Lord, my Lord? Ah, they finally, one day just hit me. Unfortunately, the book, should I say yes, had been published. I said, my Lord in modern day is sir. Those, if you get to the office, oh, let's say, you know, okay, like, we have other words like, your excellency and stuff like that, but the common one is sir. So your boss calls you, you answer, sir. Those days, you answered, my Lord. That is Solomon said clearly. That, so the Bible says clearly. The best expression that a woman can use for her husband is the equivalent of my Lord. In modern day, for me, I think it is sir. Now, did I say it's compulsory? No. I'm just saying that that's what the Bible says is what? The best. Honey, sugar, jack. I always tell women that when you are talking to your husband, let nobody confuse it with your first son. No, you can be talking to your son. When you are talking to your husband, they should think, are you talking to your father or your, or your boss? Now, why am I saying so? I wasn't born like that. I read it in the Bible. You build your life with God's word. That's what I'm going to emphasize to us. God has said something about every aspect of life. How do you save for tomorrow? Get a Bible and read and find out how it is supposed to be done or not done. In fact, saving for tomorrow, you know, God does not, that concept is foreign to him. You have to learn how to handle money differently. Now, I'm not going to teach all that, what we did last time, all over again, but please let's bear it in mind. But I read the scriptures to let us know. John said, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Whatever is born, when I used to read those, that, that expression those days, I used to wonder how can, because we thought we are the ones born of God. So it should be whoever. So we will read whoever into it, because whatever doesn't make sense. We thought so. Except that I checked all the translations possible. None of them agreed with me to say whoever. They kept on saying whatever, whatever. Then I learned 
that many things can be born of God. It's not only human beings. Ideas can be born of God. That's a whatever. How you build your life, that's what we're talking about, can be born of God. So if the concept, the way you build your life is derived from God's word, the Bible says it will overcome the world. I hope this is clear. It says it will overcome the world. That one would show to be superior. It will show to be superior. If you build your life with the word of God as the foundation, with the word of God as the building blocks, and it's, look, listen, it's something you must deliberately do. It's something you must be deliberate about. Kenegin said something those days. He said that um, um, when he started the ministry, there was a time he was praying and asking God why he wasn't seeing the kind of results that he thought he would be seeing. And the Lord made it, made it clear to him that I confirm, he was reading the Bible, that the Lord went with them confirming the word that they preached with signs and, for, uh, signs and wonders, that it is the word that God confirms. He doesn't confirm any other thing. It is the word. So that what was it? So that if you want God to, the signs to follow the what you are preaching, then make sure it is the word. So he says, sat down, that's what I'm talking about it, and began to go through the things that he preached. He was not separating what is tradition from what is the word of God. It was a deliberate effort. He settled down and said, which one is tradition? Which one is the word of God? Which one is my opinion? Do you understand? So he settled down and started removing them. Now, where I'm telling the story is that he, he, he was deliberate in removing them. This one is not God's word. You know, uh, Pastor W.F. Kumi, how many of you know Pastor Kumi of uh, which church? Deeper Life Bible Church. A few years ago, he wrote, he preached a message, I think I still have it somewhere, titled Non-Essential Church Doctrines. And in that one, he said, it said many of the things he preached over the years, he discovered that they were not the word of God, they were his opinions. So you see Deeper Life Women tying to ban. Pastor Kumi admitted that that is my opinion. God never said, thou shalt tie to ban. He acknowledged it. And he said to be correcting the things that he, you know, he taught that were not the word of God. Now let's take a lesson from that. Look at your life and check the things that you are building. I mean, I'm not talking about how you draw your eyeliner. Are you getting my point? <laughs> what I mean, important things in life. Which principle is it built on? Make sure you cross-check. Make sure it's built on God's word. That is what we call agreeing with God. That is the source. That is when it will overcome. That's when it will overcome. Let me tell you the truth. Eventually, eh? God is always shown to be correct. It's a matter of time. You will find out. I'm not an old man yet, but I've seen enough to know that, listen, no. If God says something, just believe it. Leave it like that. Now, mark my words, okay? See how everything they say about global warming, global warming, global warming. In your, if I say your lifetime is so prophetic, right? Like, okay, one day it shall come to pass that you, you'll be 80 years old and say, uh, 50 years ago, Pastor Bank used to say, no. I mean, in the next few years, I'm not talking about 50 years time. Of, in, I give this whole world 15 years time. They will stop. They will start saying something else. That one is without doubt. I'm not even able to doubt it. 
Guaranteed, they will do it. They will change their minds. They do it all the time. For 30 years, they say, if you eat egg, it will kill you. Watch cholesterol in your food. They say, sorry, it's not cholesterol that's killing you, it's sugar. I said, laughing. I said, that one will not last five years. And by, as I last year, I was already reading, I was already reading journals saying it's not true. That did that one didn't even last. Within three years, people already say, no, it's not so, it's not so, it's not so. I, I, when I say, I think this was either in Nature or New England Journal of Medicine, one of the big journals, explained that no, eating sugar does not kill people. They've done studies, they've checked and said, no, it's not true. As I laugh, I said, don't worry, I knew you would say it. They are making noise about global warming, global warming now. Mm. Is it global warming? I'm not saying it's not warming. That's it's not warming. Did you hear that from my mouth? Okay. <laughs> but I said, everything that's in it, but it was going change their mind. Now, for those who are wondering what I'm talking about, the fact is that, listen, um, the globe is warming, nobody's doubting it, but weather changes. So you, today can be hot, tomorrow can be cold, and stuff like that. Then on the larger scale also, the earth gets warmer, and it gets cooler, and everybody knows. But the question now is, why is it getting warmer? There are five major scientific theories. The media and politicians shut down four, and they are pr- promoting one. One of them says it's our habit. The car we drive, the coal we use to power our, gas st- our power stations, the one we use to cook, the firewood we burn in the villages, that the use of those things causing the globe to warm. <laughs> and it made me laugh one day. I've never believed it for one moment. But what I'm laughing is that, well, why I laughed was that one day I read an article and I found that in the 70s, the same example, the same reasons, exactly the same reasons were given for why the earth was getting very cold in the 70s. Why was the globe getting cold? They said industrialization, burning of coal. Yes, I'm, I'm not joking. You can go and Google it up. That now we have too many industries. The industries are releasing, listen to this, emission into the atmosphere. And that the emission is blocking the sun from reaching the earth. So the earth is getting too cold. The sun can't reach. The same thing is now used for the argument of why the earth is too warm. That emission is preventing the heat from escaping from the surface. And people still want to build their lives on what these same people are saying. Mark my words. That one won't last more than the next 15 years. What am I going to emphasize? Listen, let's build our lives that is, make it a deliberate thing. I have children. How do I raise them? Take your Bible and start reading. The world says, don't spank children. No, it's not good. Is it good? Is it bad? There's no need to argue. Open your Bible. He that the Lord loves, he chastises or he chastens, whichever version you want to read. I know I've heard Christians. You know, Christians are very funny. When they don't want to accept one scripture, the way they will twist it, eh? He said, to chasten does not require a rod. You can chasten with your mouth. So what is instruction? What is correction? What is reproof? Those things are done with mouth. Chastening in the Bible has only one meaning. Meaning is rod. They will say, no, it's not true. I said, listen. The Bible didn't say you should be a sadist. It didn't say you should take pleasure in inflicting pain on people. 
But he said, if a child correct, you know, and there are so many scriptures that let it know. He said, if you beat him, he will not die. That is, you know, that's what the Bible says. He said, if you flog him, he will not die. Do you flog someone with the, with the words? If you talk to him, he will not die. Are you? Now, I'm not here to teach on child raising or child upbringing. I'm just trying to emphasize something here. Listen, each time we settle down and say, what did he say? Not what the world is saying today. How do you raise children? You must teach them. They won't learn accidentally and learn the right thing. Accidentally, they learn the wrong things. So you settle, set them, settle them down and talk to them. This is how you do things. This is how you do things. Don't do it like this. Don't do it like this. Do it like this. And then they disobey instructions. You correct. They disobey again. You apply the appropriate sanction. I've met many parents, especially some men, they say that I don't know how to beat children. I say, go and learn it. You think somebody was born beating people? <laughs> you go and learn it. You go and learn how to discipline children in such a manner that you don't hurt them. That is, they say, how? You settle down and say, okay, this is done this way. You correct the child once. If he sees, remains stubborn. You apply something that would not, you know, injure him permanently. Will not mark him permanently, permanently. But something that he will be afraid of. One man said, pinch him in the neck. I said, why pinch him in the neck? When you, you can flog him on the bum bum. <laughs> no, you know, I'm just trying to explain some things. But we, we take the word of God and build our lives on it. How do I relate with my wife is written in the Bible. How it is written, done in your society is not what we are discussing. What did the Bible say about it? We build how do I relate with my husband? It's within the scriptures. We build. How do I relate with my boss? It's written in the Bible clearly. You serve him as you are serving the Lord, not eye service. You don't do eye service. You do what is genuinely from the heart. You do what is right. How do I run my business? Ah, it's all over the Bible. It's all over the scriptures. Most banks in this world will fail. No matter how long they last, they will eventually die. Do you know why? They, they, they walk against the word of God. And I pray, and this is what I'm trying to say. If a, if a, if a bank is built on scriptural principles, it will last all the other ones. Doesn't mean you won't have difficult times. But God says, whatever is born of God, Overcomes. So if you are doing a business session and say, how are we supposed to do it according to the word of God? Oh, ministry income. A lot of things people do in ministry. They think it's the, that's how it is done, you know. One day I was in a church somewhere. Some people were, you know, you know money, money matter, money. You know, that's where the quarrel normally starts and ends. In church, if you never quarrel over money, you never quarrel over anything. Even in the Bible, was it not food they were calling over? The Grecian, eh? the, the widows, eh? and the Jews, they were, they were, they was quarreled on who will get what. So if your church has not quarreled over money, they will never quarrel again in Jesus' name. Yeah, if they can manage that side. <laughs> so that day I was there and they were doing some things I was watching. So there's one brother beside me, I, you know, I just grumbled loud, you know, like, things are not supposed to be like this. 
You know what he said to me? There are times people will say something, so you want to pinch them. He said, uh, how, else do I, do they, how else do I expect them to get money? Now look at him like, should I wound you on the Lord's behalf? You know that kind of thing. <laughs> like, what? You know, I expected, if somebody wanted to say, like, please, oh, what is wrong with it? You know, <laughs> you know give me, but it's like, eh, how else would the money come? So I said, all this lie lie to you is okay. All this pressure, pressure to you is okay. All this sitting down there, instead of preaching, you're spending forever trying to rake money. To you, it's all right? Ah! I didn't know, you know, there are times you don't even know where to start discussion from. Of course, you observe things. As a child, what are you supposed to do? Settle down and say, what did he say? What did the Lord say? Learn it. Now, listen to me. When you are building on divine principles, it does not mean it will be easy. Nobody said it will be easy. Jesus said in this world you will have what? Tribulations. So as you are building on these principles, you are going to be having trouble. In fact, the first sign that you are building rightly. When partners start leaving you, people start disagreeing with you. They don't want to do business, you know, with you like that. I don't mean, opponents will like to do business with you because you'll be, you, 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 I'm what I mean by clients, you know. But I'm talking about partners. And literally, some of them will make money and you will not make. Those who are operating the worldly method, they will build the house be, before you. Their method will seem to work. But you just learn to build on the word. And once you have found the word, stay with it. I'm not teaching business now, alright, because I'm, I'm tempted to stay on that, but I won't. But once you have found divine principles, I call them wisdom for salvation. Once you have found them, stay with them. Don't, you know, there will be temptations to leave. But try your best, stay. You keep learning, you keep, imp- you keep improving. But you must never deviate from that foundation which is God's word. You build your desires on the word of God. Like we said last time, I was saying again a few days ago, Peter came to Jesus. When Jesus was saying that the son of man will be crucified, will be beaten, and, and then, ah, Peter said, what? That's not going to happen to you. And Jesus got angry. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Now, what, what, how did you, like I tweeted that day, how do you know what is Satan? How do you know what is God? Because godly counsel, or sorry, friendly counsel can be satanic. But of course, the Bible also tells us that in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So you have to learn to distinguish between that which is satanic and that which is godly. How do you do that? It's simple. Look at the next thing Jesus said. He said, because your mind is not set on the interest of God, but the interest of man. Do you understand my point? We must learn, alright, to set our minds on the interest of God in everything that we do. So in everything, there's godly interest. Are you getting my point? There's interest of God. So we build. Now, so our desires, that's, our, that's what I began to talk about. So we learn that also. What are the, what is the interest of God? Because after a while, that becomes your desire. It becomes your desire. You know, <laughs> a brother gave some money to Kingdom of Ministry some, recently, and it was a lot of money. So, of course, we're so happy to receive it. So we prayed for him and all of that. 
After I told my wife, I said, this brother is more excited to give this money than we are to receive it. I don't know whether you get my point. Because when he was explaining to me why he did it, he was laughing. <laughs> I don't know what you get the point. He said, ah, more finally. <laughs> we thank God. You know that kind of attitude? This gospel, ah, it has always been the desire of my heart. Hallelujah. It reminded me of something that I said long ago, very long ago. Maybe like, okay, not long ago, like in 80 years ago. I mean like, <laughs> okay, but close to 18 years ago. That I said some things and he said to himself, I'm going to be a part of that. That is the gospel, how it will advance. He said, he said when I said that, I didn't have a dime in my pocket. Then he was still a student. Now, why am I telling this story? That you can get to a point, you have so set your mind, you have so united your desires with that of God, when you'll be doing something that appear unreasonable, you'll be happy doing them. It's more blessed to give than to receive. We learn that from scriptures. So the friend who shows you the opportunity to give is actually, as far as God is concerned, a better friend than the one that shows you where the business deal to make money is from. is. Why? The words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So I, learned, I build my desires on what he has spoken. I learn it. It now becomes a good thing for me. I'm not, you know, when you are converted, you know what to be converted, you know what it means? It means you now have a different mindset. You have a different reaction to things than you had before. The way you react with, to things is different from the way the common person does. So, for example, that given thing. If I have the opportunity to help somebody, I'm, I'm excited that, yeah, that's good. I mean, that, that is very good. If I have the opportunity to earn some money, it's also good, and I'm also happy. But without realizing it, I find I'm more excited the former, see, under that, the former situation than this one. Why? Because I have learned to think like God. I have been converted. That's what conversion is. You take the yoke of God upon you. So you see, when we're talking about building on the word of God, we build even our desires. We start desiring what God desires. Some things become more important to us than other things. For example, you know, when they were um, um, voting last in America, of course, we know American issue because it's the world's issue. Anything that's happening to them, they must show the whole world and all of us are concerned. So, of course, we watch their election very, very closely. But after your national election, the next one you watch is American election. In every country in the world. If you're Nigerian, you are concerned about Buhari and <laughs> Atiku. After that, it is Donald Trump and whoever is contesting against him the next two years. All right? That, or they are starting again maybe by next year. Okay. Huh? So, you're already concerned. In that, so, that's the one that will concern you next after Nigeria. So, we watched a lot of that at that time. Now, people were divided in two. I noticed something. Of course, Donald Trump, what did he represent for many people? It was a redneck. It was a rallying point for the racist people. Are you getting my point? He doesn't like immigration. He declared publicly that if I become president, I'm going to ban Muslims from coming to America. 
And as soon as he became president, instantly he found a way to ban Muslims from coming to America. He just said, if you are coming from these countries, you can't come on. You are verified that you are not a security threat. And all the countries he listed were Muslim-majority countries. So they went to court. Court said it is unconstitutional. Finally, it got to the Supreme Court, and he won. Supreme Court, the president has a, no, that's what the Supreme Court said. The president has a charge for national security, so he can make those decisions. Yeah. So, he, you know, he did many things that, okay, we don't understand the vetting process of your, for your citizens, so go and rearrange it. But he fulfilled his campaign promise. <laughs> now, you see where I'm going. The interest of God, the interest of man, our desires, how we build them. One thing I noticed then is immigrants did not like Donald Trump. Almost every Nigerian, almost all, not all, almost, that's what I said, wanted Hillary Clinton to win. Hillary Clinton will welcome, you know, the immigrants, you are welcome. If you are illegal, we'll make your stay legal. We'll not deport you. She claims, or she claimed, even those who, those who know these people don't believe anything they say. Donald Trump was, I don't know, he's the one you could trust the most. Forget all the noise we're making. He was the one. Because he would tell you, I'm not going to do this and. <laughs> Hillary Clinton did everything. Welcome everybody. I watched the first advert she released to announce her candidature. She featured a homosexual couple. You know, a, a, a man touched a man like this. And that one, <laughs> you know the way, we, that is an evil spirit too. It's an evil spirit. I was so disgusted. What kind of rubbish is this? I thought, you know the kind of thing you do when you touch your wife's breast like this, you go jump back, that kind of thing. <laughs> he, laughs, he does it all the time. <laughs> It's scriptural. <laughs> they are laughing. We can read the Bible out, I mean. But let's just leave out. Let's leave it for now. It's scriptural. <laughs> you know the way she, they react? Ah, I saw it. I said, oh, no. You know, Hillary Clinton, that's, that was the last clip on her first video campaign stuff. People had their reasons. And I have a friend, when he explained, because of this discrimination thing, police shooting black people and all of that, so they wanted somebody who would defend them and all of that. But this is what I'm going I found that most Christians I knew that were not in America, the same Nigerians, who, but they were in Nigeria, they preferred Donald Trump. They did. Look, if you asked an average Christian then in Nigeria, they wanted Donald Trump to win. But if you asked an average Christian Nigerian in America, they wanted Hillary Clinton to win. And what was the reason? It's simple. The Nigerian was focused on the gospel that Nigerian Christian, they didn't have any problem with police shooting. The, you know, the, the, our problem here is with SARS and you know, an anti court. We don't have problem with, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. So I realized it that we were focused on. I told you about this thing now that Hillary Clinton was doing what Obama did, and she was planning to continue the liberalism and all of that. It was paining us Christians. That what is going on over there? How Christians are being persecuted. A man wants to marry a man, and they come to a Christian and say, no, you, you, you refuse to make our cake. It's against the law. Have you heard once since Donald Trump became president? Every man don't maintain. If you want to chop cake, go and bake it yourself. Look. No, he, Donald Trump went and, look, he made it clear. 
He couldn't campaign with it, but everybody in this direction is going. And that was why we were following him. Do you know the first thing he did? The first executive order he gave was to withdraw funding from any agency overseas that promoted abortion. As soon as he entered office, give me the paper. America is not sponsoring abortion abroad ever again. That was the first thing Donald Trump did. So anybody going abroad, spreading the gospel of abortion, abort your babies, sacrifice them to Molech, we will not pay for it. Day one. That is the day he took office. They gave him the paper. You know, his deputy, Mike Pence, Abby, what people don't know is that he's worse than Donald Trump. He's a, he's a hardened Catholic and a hardened Christian. <laughs> In P. Donald Trump, you, all of you will see paper. Better leave Donald Trump alone. <laughs> if that guy comes. <laughs> Now, what am I talking about this? You see, I realize that a lot of people, like our brethren who are not in Nigeria, maybe who are there, they were more concerned about the stay. I'm an immigrant. What will happen to my children? But all of us should learn something. In every situation, let's ask, what is God's interest? What is God's interest? Which of these two people will serve the interest of God? Just pray about that. And whatever you find from that, let it form your own desires. As I gave the example of those of us who are back here, who are not, we're not planning to go there, we like where we live, we just like our brethren there to also be safe and sound, but we like the gospel. So we saw a man who we felt will stop this persecution of people who, out of their faith, their conscience, say we will not participate in some things. And of course he did. As soon as he came into office, every, every, look. Sorry, let me just digress a bit. The man, that man has a funny, his mind works funny. But he does some interesting things. There was a pastor that had been in detention, imprisonment and detention in Turkey for a long time. When Trump became president, he said, if you don't release him, I will place sanctions on Turkey. And your currency will crash. Watch me. You know, the guy doesn't care. For Obama kept quiet, you know, in diplomacy. Donald Trump said, look, you imprisoned a pastor for what? What did he do? He preached the gospel. Is that a crime? The church in America just went and met him. Okay, I beg. Our guy did in prison. He said, where? Talking. He just got the talking guy. The next week, the guy was out of jail. He wasn't joking. <laughs> no. He would tweet your life to death. You know, just... <laughs> Let me finish his tweeting about you. You will release everything. If you remember, is it Asia Bibi, one lady that was in prison in Pakistan? The, the following month, they released her too. She was sentenced to death for blasphemy. The following month, the Supreme Court quashed the sentence. And, you know, I was laughing to myself. I said, the fear of Donald. I'm telling you, these are things that Obama would never do. Ever. And Hillary Clinton will not do it too. Listen, what am I going to explain? We believers, even our desires, we build them on the word of God. We just impressed God about Solomon. God came to Solomon, what do you want me to do for you? He remembered what his father said, that acquire understanding. He said, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. The world says money is the principal thing, therefore get money. But Solomon took that aside 
and ask for what God wanted a person to ask for, and it pleased the Lord. Even our desires are built on the word of God. We live our lives with a hope, with our hope fixed on his promises. What will my tomorrow be like? The Bible never said it depends on the school you went to. The Bible never said it depends on who your parents are. Now, I'm just coming back from Lagos. I went to Lagos on Sunday. came back this morning. You know? (laughs) Our host in Lagos, eh? the man spoiled us silly. Treated us so well. But this is the same man who told me that I didn't go to school. He said, because nobody agreed, my senior brothers refused to pay. He said, I was okay in school, but nobody would pay, so I had to go and learn trading. So he started learning to trade. And he has taught in Leadership Academy. Last time I was speaking with him, that was the previous year, he said that, that it's interesting, that the fact that I didn't go to school is, that, is why they're not asking me to come and teach. So, we build our hope, we build our expectation on his promises. Not from the east, or from the west, or from the south, comes exaltation. God is judge. He brings down one, and he lifts up another. He decides the boundaries of kingdoms. He decides when they rise, and when they fall. That's how we build our hope. That's how we build our expectation. So, a man came from school, came from Harvard with a very good degree. It doesn't move. No, I'm not kidding. You know, there are people that say, ah, well, you try. God is my witness. It has never impressed me one bit. One is a Harvard or no Harvard. When Dangote is advertising, won't you go there? You will still join them. There's no work you are going to look for there. One of our brothers works in an oil company. Told me that once in their company, they, they recruited a lot of people. And I was talking to the head of one of the managers or the head of HR, you know, human resources. And the man was arguing with him what they were discussing. And the man said that most of the people they just recruited came from abroad. So he told the man that, no, sir. I interact with them every day. Only a handful have foreign degrees. Most of the ones you employed came from Nigerian universities. That man says not true. Finally, they had to pull out the records to start checking. And the man was alarmed. Like a manager in HR was shocked to find out that most of his people he employed are from around. Listen, it doesn't... Look, that's why you've heard me say many times, I'm not going to sweat, sweat, break something because somebody wants to go to school somewhere. No. Because not from the east or the west, no, from the south comes exaltation. God is judge. He brings down one, lifts up another. That's it. I build my expectation on that. Will I live long? I won't live long. I read my Bible too. I form my desires based on what he has spoken. He did not say 70 or 80 years. It's a misreading of the Bible. What he said, two things. One, with long life, I will satisfy him. Satisfaction is important. The number two, saying the kingdom, the young dies at the age of 100. How will it be? Don't worry. Just believe it. Build your expectation on it. 
If you're talking, you no, know, just carelessly, and you're 40 years old, and people are talking about, ah, and I say, you say, well, in the next 30 years, you know, you, don't, you start winding down your life in 30 years. That is, you still believe that 70, do you get my point? That's wrong. But if you're just, just talking gently, you know, carelessly, just, ah, ah, the next 60 years, 65 years, you start calculating that you should live to be 105. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. Just believe it. Just read it. Build your expectation on it. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. What will your life be like? Just build it upon what he has spoken. What is recorded by the prophets. Now, please, that's what we thought last time. I didn't intend to speak so much about it again, but I think it's just good. But so you, your life starts taking a different shape. You start having a different perspective to life, different expectations. And listen to this. Life starts responding to you differently. It starts responding to you differently. We're not talking about, you know, this is not psyching yourself up. This is opening yourself for a flow of the Spirit of God so that he can fulfill that which he promised. Remember we're talking about agreeing with God. It's only when you, look, you know, I said last time, last time we read the fact that the promise of God is the anchor. That is why we will not be tossed to and fro. It's just the promises of God. He has thought about every single aspect of our lives. And we have a duty to learn what he has said and build our lives on them. So upon this rock, I will build my church. Anything built upon the revelation of the word of God, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And let me remind you again, gates don't mean you are sitting down and they are attacking. It means when you get up and face any challenge, the challenge will be overcome. If you've built your life on the word. That's just what we said last time. I just feel like emphasizing it again. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Now let's continue. Okay, let me just introduce this today. I don't want us to stay for too long. Where we began from, we said agreement has three sides. Matthew chapter 18. There's agreeing with God, which is the foundation of all agreements. I've gone over that again and again, including today again, in which we are seeing that without agreeing with God, there is no way to have an anchor for our souls. It's in agreeing with God that we are able to be steady, not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Now, Matthew chapter 18 Verse 19, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Now this part really speaks about, about the third level of agreement that we have been speaking about. Our first level is agreeing with God. Second one, agreeing with ourselves, that is, be in agreement with yourself inside you. And number three, you be in agreement either with your fellow or, or your fellows. Now, anytime something concerns more than one person, one place where, a, a, a way by which power is leaked, where electricity is discharged into the ground, is when you have disagreement amongst the people. 
once something involves more than one person, it's so crucial that all the parties involved are in agreement. And the best example, of course, is from in, in, in the case of marriage, two people must be in any time they can come into a, if two Christians, husband and wife especially. Now, any two Christians, okay? But I'm using husband and wife because they have a covenant. The two of them are together, bound, you know. I still administered vows to people, somebody, on, that's two days ago. And I don't do Pentecostal vows. I'm not called Pentecostal vow. From this day, we shall be one. I submit, you know, I love you. I No, I like the original, you know, the orthodox vow. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Now, I say those things, people say it's not, they say negative confession. It's not negative confession. Even though he slays me, yet I will trust him. Is that negative confession? Even though he will not deliver us, we will still not bow to your idol. Is that negative confession? I've seen people, re- 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 no? <laughs> Rearrange these two scriptures, so. The first one I heard is that even though the devil slays me, I will still trust the Lord. Yes, I've heard that one. Now, the reason why I tell you some of these negative things, these wrong things I've heard, you know what, one of the reasons why I do it. So that when somebody gives it to you later, you too, you know you have heard it. So you'll not be confused. So you know I heard it too before I said what I said. Anyway, so to say for better for worse is not a negative vow. It's just a statement of what? Commitment. And that was what Job said, even if he slays me, yet I will trust him. So, a husband and a wife, they are bound like that. So their own agreement is not only powerful, it's crucial for their existence. Alright, First Peter chapter 3. I just want to read something there. I was saying that, so for, for husbands and for couples, and this applies to everybody, that are in partnership on a, in anything. One major place where power is leaked, where they lose power, is in the place of disagreement. Edco will say, to the extent that you disagree with each other, husband and wife, especially in front of the children, so that's the extent to which you lose authority over them. Once a man and his wife are in disagreement, they are losing authority in the home. And that's why you must never allow your children to turn you against each other. In which somebody decides that I'm the nice one, the other one is the wicked one. Don't, if they want to get that impression, don't let them get it. Reject it. When they come to mommy, don't they always go to mommy, not always, most times go to mommy to go and ask for something that they know that is not likely to grant. Once you detect they are doing that, anytime they come, tell them, let me discuss with your father. Even, you, even though you think it's reasonable, don't tell them. Go and discuss with your husband. And then if you disagree with your husband, really, but he insisting on one way, when you come back to the children, instead of saying that, well, I think it's reasonable, your father, you know him now, he didn't agree. That is satanic talk. You are dashing your authority to Satan. What you should do is just go and meet them, them. And don't say your father said. That's another way. You know, there's a way of you pass the buck. It's not me. You know me. I'm sweet mother. Well, you know, go forget me. You know? 
That is what you think. <laughs> Just go there and say no. Ah, mommy, but no. As who said no? Is the two of you that know? Who said no? As far as the children are concerned, these co-conspirators have said no. Don't let them ever think they can turn you against each other. You, you are undermining your authority in front of them. Your ability to control and lead and teach and instruct and bring them up properly is being removed. You can disagree, but they must never know. Don't give an answer tentative, you know, unless you are certain of what the other person will say. If you are certain of it, fine. Oh, it's all right. And that one, if you now disagree, with, if your wife said it's all right, because she thought it was all right that you would agree, but you now realize it is not all right, one way you can do it is make her undo what she did. Let her be the one to change her mind, not you. That is, the children said they are going out to go and swim in the river. <laughs> not swimming pool now, no lifeguard. And the mother thinks it's okay. And the father said, where did they go? He said, they are going to dive from the rock into the river. And look and I say, madam, did you listen to it very well? And then you now pursue that, no, 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 it will not work. Don't go and say, hey, people are not going anywhere. But mommy said, I don't care what your mommy says. I said. That's bad. What you should do is talk to her. Say, my wife, no. Then she will go back and say, children, children, children. I bet this swimming thing, wait, I will carry you to Nikkei Lake Resort to tell later. Where they have lifeguard. Mommy, but you said, and now I'm on saying, I've changed my mind. You put it boju boju for me that time. I've woken up. The you put blue on my face has cleared. That agreement is very, very important. It's very, very, it's very important. You want to disagree, disagree behind closed doors. Close the door first and say, how will you say that kind of thing? Why not? It's dangerous. Mm-hmm. What's dangerous? Are you afraid? I'm not afraid. I'm being reasonable. Then you open the door. Children, children, nobody's going anywhere. And you put hands on each other, <laughs> nobody's going anywhere. You look at you and say, the same, <laughs> whatever God has joined together, even we cannot put us under. You gain spiritual authority over those children like that. So it goes said, never, ever. He said that thing more than 20 times. Never, never, never disagree with your spouse in front of your children. Now it's not only about children, please apply to life. You must work hard at agreement so you can pray effectively. I said we should open somewhere. First Peter chapter 3. Now, um, Peter spoke extensively on how women should relate with their husbands. He now switched to husbands in verse 7. He said, you, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Please notice that. Let me just read the next um, two verses. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, 
not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Now, let me just stop reading here. Now, notice that they say all of you be harmonious. Work hard at it. That's what I'm trying to emphasize. You must deliberately do it. Settle down and say, how can we come into agreement on this matter? I said something earlier. Let me just teach a bit of marriage again. Just for a minute, just to emphasize this issue. The difference, uh, when it comes to importance in life, there is no difference between a man and a woman. As far as God is concerned, they are the same. They are fellow heirs. They are joint heirs. They are equal as far as God is concerned. But why did they say somebody should submit, another should not submit, should love and all of that? There has to be order. In life, there has to be order. Once it's more than one person, there must be order. Again, by the way, parents, let your children know that there is order. We are not all children in this house. Somebody is senior to the other. Okay, the easy way we do it is age. You all respect your seniors. You don't talk back at your elders. No stuff like that. Okay? Like in my house, <laughs> one of the things we did that time is, children, you know, I don't know, children just love to sit in front. They love to sit in front. So, when you are below a certain height, you sit at the back, no matter whether the front seat is empty or not. But after some time, they start sitting in front. But we just made a rule about it. The oldest person, the front seat is his best right. Do you get my point? Yes. And, but like I tell my kids, I say, it doesn't mean you must always take it. But it's yours. You can now give it out. And I demand that everybody recognize that order. Okay? So if somebody sitting in front and the older one comes and says, I want to sit in front, you must come down. Unless there is supplication. You understand my point? Petition, prayers. Uh, you get... <laughs> yeah, I say, ah, but you sat there yesterday and I can't ask it today. He must agree. Now, so when it comes to husband and wife, therefore, it's the same way. God just set the husband in front for order's sake. There has to be order. There has to be order. Okay? But just like I teach, I taught my son that day, in the same manner, it doesn't mean the man has his way all the time. It just means every decision is his responsibility, including the ones he did not make. I hope you get the point. Even the one you did not make, you are responsible for making it. I didn't say you are responsible for not making it. That's not what I said. What did I say? You are responsible for making the ones you did not make. If you make a decision, it's your responsibility. When you do not make the decision, whichever one is made is also your responsibility. That's why God told them in Israel. If a woman makes a vow to God and her husband hears about it six months later or one day later, from the time he hears, he has 24 hours to annul it if he doesn't like it. Now, where I'm going is that if he does not annul it, if he just keeps quiet, the vow is confirmed after 24 hours. God holds him responsible for the vow. If you don't like it, you get home. Your wife said, ah, I've told the children, by having three days prayer and fasting, nobody is eating this house for these three days. And you say, eh? Hmm. And you go inside. By 24 hours, that, nobody is eating. <laughs> but if you don't like it, say, no, everybody, dinner time. Tell mommy, go and tell them we are eating. You are not, you are not devout. The one I've seen once that made me laugh. A man made the vow. The woman came back and announced it. 
That is what Yoruba man calls Ayetidorikodo. That means the world is now upside down. A man made a vow. The woman came and said, which vow is that? That's very unreasonable. We will not obey that vow. God holds the man, what I was trying to say, responsible for every decision that is made, even when he did not make them. Now, so why did he talk about the, the woman? I've said this to us before. That's why submission is a heavy plus. Why is it a heavy plus? Because the woman is equal. Your employee is not submissive to you. I hope you know that. That's not submission. Don't do it. I'll fire you. Do you get my point? Uh-huh. When a sergeant does yes, sir, to a general, it's not submission. That is not, I don't know how to explain. That's not your place in life. But when a woman comes down, it's called having equality with God. But did not think it's something to be grasped, but laid down and became a servant. That's it. That's what submission is. That I'm not saying you are superior. I'm saying that according to God's order, I follow what he has laid down, so I laid down my glory so as to become a servant in the house. That's what it is. That's all. For that reason, God now turned to the man, say, you hear so? I'm not saying you are the man. So, because you are the man, you are superior to everybody else, you are not. You're just in charge, and there's peace only because she submits. And I have not given you the instruction to subdue. I've given you only one instruction, which is what? Love. For that reason, treat her well. I hope you're getting my point. Treat her well. I've met a lot of people, you know, like the man I was telling you earlier. Very humble. So it's, I've met people, you know, senior, but they bring themselves down. So I learned, you know, from time. When I see such people, I go down now. Did you get the English? So when a man like that greets me, ah, good afternoon, sir. I'll say, ah, sir, good afternoon, sir. I'll pull, sir, the beginning and the end. You know, some small, small boy pastors, they don't understand. Old man will come to your church, okay, your pastor, good morning, says, ah, but, ah, how are you? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> You know, some people don't know. Old man comes because he's calling you, because pastor, ah, good afternoon, sir. He says, ah, but, how are you? You just know you straighten raise your shoulder like this. Next time you fall down, your shoulder dislocates, you should know why. The Lord is good. So in the same principle, God says, so when you, when you say, man, when you now see your wife has submitted, then take, treat her with what? Care. You know, be, you know, give her honor. Understand that this is a big man that's telling you, sir. Are you getting what the concept there? <laughs> he now said, listen, no. He says, she's your equal partner in God's grace, in God's gift of new life. That's what he calls her. Physically, of course, she's a weaker one. And I said, what you do is you treat her with understanding so that your prayers will not be hindered. That's why I'm going with all of this talk. A major reason the prayers of men are hindered is how they treat their wives. Let's, all, let's, let's think about that, okay? Very important. But of course, you take everything in context. But now, where I'm going is this. So, one of the, one major area where 
we leak spiritual power in the home is when we allow disagreements and stuff like that come between husband and wife. For that reason, we must work hard at it. Whatever it takes, we work hard at it. Don't pray about something until you can pray about it. I don't know whether I get my point. You want to pray about your child's admission, and somebody saying that, no, my child does not go to a private university, especially abroad. You are given a disadvantage in life. Another one is saying that school now school, who won't learn go learn. Are <laughs> you getting my point? And that's a very serious disagreement. Two of you cannot effectively pray about the education of those children. You can't. You have to settle down, work on it, talk about it, listen to messages, pray that is not pray about that issue now. Pray about understanding. That's why your wife or your husband should be a major prayer point when you are praying for people. That God will give him or her the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him. That his or her understanding will be enlightened. It's crucial because it's only, you can only come into agreement when, you know, we've said it before, when each individual comes into agreement with God. Personal opinion, we can never agree. Even if we finally say, okay, leave it now, it gets to the place of prayer. That leave it now doesn't work. Because there's no conviction, there's no faith in the heart, there's no conviction in the soul. So just leave it now, so we'll stay together in the house for the interest of peace. It doesn't work in the time of prayer. Because what's really inside the heart is speaking up. Hmm. I may be kneeling down, but in my heart I'm standing. You know that kind of thing? You carry down to the place of prayer. Of course it doesn't work. As you join your hands to pray, angels say, separate your hand, nobody's listening to you. Say, separate your hand, go, go. Nobody's listening. I hope you're getting my point. And that is why the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And listen, that unequal yoke, listen to me. If you want divine power, even in your business, watch out for unequal yoke. Because you and somebody, you put money, fairly equal, into the same business. If you are Christians, you should be able to pray together. I hope you are getting my point. Yeah, you should be able to pray together. You should. And if you are going to pray together, you must be in agreement on things. On how things are supposed to be done. One man, one man is thinking that, ah, go. We have to go and bribe these people. What much are they asking for self? Just give it to them. And that person say, no. God is, you know, you can't pray. You cannot. If you have that kind of thing, you have to find a way to dissolve that business. Go your separate ways. You cannot pray when the two of you are not in agreement. We Christians must realize that we're not planning to go through this life with our own labor, with our own hard work, with our own knowledge of how to do it. What we want is God's power working with us. So even when it comes to business, please, don't go into business with somebody you cannot be in agreement with. And remember, you can never be in agreement really, except each individual is agreeing with God. You know, we have have established that. Because we will keep on arguing. Your opinion is your opinion, mine is mine. Why should I lay down my opinion for you? Your money is there, my money is there. But if both of us are in agreement with God, as we are going to church, as we are praying for one another, we start seeing, you know, having revelation. Sometimes Christians need to learn that my business is not just about money. It's about affecting the environment. Sometimes God places you in a place. The only reason why you are there as a businessman is, I just want somebody to say no to all the nonsense going on around. You won't make money, but at least you have to be a shining light. So you go to the center of that market, there are 17 shops all around you, you are here, number five. <laughs> and everybody is doing one thing, you are just not doing it. It's, it's making it hard to stay afloat. Do you get my point? It's making it hard. 
You're just barely staying there. You're not dying yet. But God says, just keep on saying no. Your assignment there is say no. It's just to maintain righteousness. Do you get my point? Christians think that being, you know, when it comes to maybe you want to do agreement, don't be on the yoke. It's just about marriage. It's not just about marriage. You watch out in everything. If anywhere prayer is important to you, watch out who you are going to business with. As believers, we must walk with the power of God. We don't intend to go through life, you understand, struggling like everybody else. We don't intend to do that. For that reason, we must regularly invoke God's power into our businesses. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And therefore, if you're in partnership with somebody, it must be somebody you can pray with. It's very crucial because it's agreement that releases power into a place where it doesn't depend on you alone. That's the point we have been trying to make. If it depends on you alone, it's a different matter. For example, if you employ people, all right, in a business, okay, it is fine. They, they may not be in agreement with two, they can just be in a, well, a certain level of agreement, but you don't need them to be the ones invoking the power of God into the place. There are people who are very negative spirits, you let them go, but generally, they are not very crucial, so they are below you in the authority, spiritual authority ranking. I'm talking about somebody who holds a spirit of ownership. That is a totally different matter. Okay, so we work at that. We work at it so that we can come into true agreement. That's the point. And once we come into true agreement, Jesus said, anything we ask, remember, that already assumes we are in agreement with him. Once we are in that frame of agreement with him, anything we ask, he will do. Let me say something again about the principle of agreement. Sometimes people want to pray. You want a big man. He's a pastor of a very sorry. He's a bishop over a very big denomination. He's in Lagos. You send him an email that he should pray with you. He doesn't know you. If you die, it doesn't concern him. I don't know what I get the point. If you die, he doesn't understand. If you live, he really doesn't know. You know the truth. His prayer is not very effective. I'm not saying it doesn't work. As I said, very, very. That's what I said. The person whose prayer is most effective, is that one that, according to the Bible, is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. Are you getting my point? So a friend of yours, a, a friend, a Christian, is more is a better person to pray with than a big man that's fired with just because he has a big title and he preaches powerfully. If your friend, this is how I like to explain it, if a man I don't know falls down from a seventh floor, from the seventh floor of a building and dies, I will say, what happened to him? Why? Why will he do that? And I'll keep on eating like nothing happened. But if I was eating and they told me that somebody I know, maybe somebody here, fell from first floor, not seventh floor, first floor, and he broke his leg, <laughs> instantly the spoon will first fall down. How is he? The legs are already broken. Is it broken in two or in three? Or just a sprain? You know, the food is on suspension. Are you sure? Are you lying to me or you're telling me the truth? The last time you push the food, you push the food back. You take your car key, say, where are you people? I'm coming. Are you getting what I'm trying to say here? Those are the kind of people you join hands with to pray. I'm not somebody can pray for you that you can lay hands on somebody you don't know, anointing flows. We're talking about prayer of agreement. 
You cannot agree about what does not concern you. Are you getting my point? What doesn't touch you? How do you agree about it? The person you pray with, when I'm talking about prayer of agreement, is somebody who the matter touches. That is why there is nothing like praying with your spouse about something. Because anything that happens to you, <laughs> you know, if you fall sick, she's not going home. She'll, she'll be, she's the one that will sit with you in hospital, or he's the one that will stay there morning after night. So when you say that my back is paining me, let's pray together. <laughs> God knows our back that is paining her. Are you getting my point? Our back is paining him. It's true. And in fact, our back is paining us. Because if the back is paining only one person, two people are not sleeping. And you say, mm. as soon as I do that, mm. no, sometimes my wife does it and I do it all sometimes. You are not feeling very well. You sneak away. Because you know if you turn too much, the other person will wake up. So the other time my wife said, Kai, I didn't sleep. Why, why didn't you wake me up? I said, I didn't, I didn't want to wake you up. Why didn't you sleep? My stomach was paining me. So I was pacing up and down. I was praying. I was confessing the word. I didn't wake me up. No. But if I start collapsing, I will have woken you up. <laughs> now I can say handle it alone. Because the moment you wake up, she will stop sleeping too. And that's the best person to pray with. Not the anointed man of God. The person that is touched with the feeling of your infirmity. That is the best person to pray with. And the only Bible says, if two of you shall agree concerning anything that you will ask, no matter how impossible it seems, I hope you are getting my point. If two of you can just be in agreement, you know I said at the beginning, the capacity to agree is what we are talking about. If you really, because it's not just a, Sometimes we both are agreed concerning desire, but we are not both agreed concerning divine power to intervene. I don't know whether you're getting my point. We are both in agreement that this is how we want, we want this thing solved, but we are not in agreement concerning the fact that God can do it. Then the prayer is weakened. That's why we also have to take prayer step by step. Like I took the example of Kedetegin. He asked a woman he was supposed to pray with, what can you believe? He was ready to believe that this sickness will disappear when we pray. She was ready to believe that I will go to the hospital. The doctor will know what to do. He will have the skill. He will not make a mistake. And I will be well. So the man said, well, if that is what you are able to accept, then I can come down to that level and we pray. And they did exactly that. A wound that the doctor said will heal maybe in a week has healed in three days. After the surgery, they said she would be in pain. They forgot to give her a painkiller. She was not in pain. So God intervened because they were both able to come to agreement. But he was willing to go to a higher level of we're not going to, this doctor is not going to do anything. So sometimes we have to work on that also. That you see, it's not just agreeing on the desire, what we want God to do, but the ability that is our, that what the role of divine power. We also have to come to agreement in that. It is so important. That's why I believe that husband and wife, they should talk. Know what each person is thinking. Prayer habits is good, though, but prayer as a habit has a problem again. Are you getting my point? It's time to pray. The problem I have in this house, Father, you solve it for us in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I should call the commissioner of police. <laughs> somebody is praying. Somebody is calling somebody. Are you getting my point? So we should talk. But remember, 
there's no way we can be in true agreement unless, first of all, first of all, we are in agreement with God. I hope you got the point. Let's just bow down our heads and pray. Let's give the Lord thanks. Let's continue to pray and ask the Lord to help us first to agree with him. We're still praying that prayer. First, that every word, um, that's, every truth that we've encountered, that will be that word, that truth, and we'll walk in that truth. Just pray for yourself. And if you're married here, you pray for your spouse. Pray for your husband, pray for your wife, that the Lord will help him, help her to come to the knowledge of truth, to grant him understanding, grant her understanding. Pray, Lord, grant my husband, grant my wife understanding, so that when we pray as a couple, power will be made available. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word that you've sent to us this evening again. Thank you for sending your word to us. Thank you for Pastor Banky. Thank you, Lord, for strength. Thank you, Lord, for light. We give you praise. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. As we go, may the Lord bless us. May the Lord keep us. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon us. No evil will come near you. The Lord will cause his face to shine upon you. He will show you favor. He will show you mercy. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Now, let's share the grace in fellowship. If you come in for the first time... Um, I don't think we have any copy of the magazine, but just try and flow with us. So for the rest of us, let's share the grace in fellowship. One, two, three, go. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out of under the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the Spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil. Because we are seated high above with Christ. This is a season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation in the name of Jesus Christ.